This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. This morning we are thinking together about the sin of anger, a devastating iniquity which everyone is capable of committing. You say, well, not me. Well, let's look at how we develop, starting off with a tiny baby. A small infant has a fit of temper and loses its dinner. And then we grow a little bit and a young child throws a temper tantrum and it throws the whole family out of joint. A wife loses her temper and develops a splitting headache for no reason at all, she thinks. The husband gets angry, loses his appetite, stalks out of the house. Every member of the family is subject to this sin. Anger is the breeding ground for remorse in the heart, discord in the home, bitterness in the community, confusion in the state, and tension among nations. Now, for those of you who may have already hit a stumbling block in your thinking, as you remember that Jesus went one day into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, that's Mark chapter 11, let me hasten to clear up this point. The scripture does say that a person can be angry and sin not. And we know that Jesus did not sin, even when he exhibited what us, to us seemed like a fit of anger. Anger is an emotion which in itself is no more a sin than the emotion of laughter or crying. But our anger becomes sinful because the thing we want is wrong or we're angry at the wrong person or in the wrong way or for too long a time. One person expressed it this way, human anger is always perverted by sin. And instead of burning like a divine wrath with a clean flame, it generates a blinding and suffocating smoke. There are those who hold to a mistaken idea that all anger is touched with divinity. This is not so. Anger, which is not sinful, is truly a rare bird. Instead of our generalizing, softening, and toning down our conception of anger into what we often are prone to call righteous indignation, perhaps we'd be nearer the truth to generalize in the other direction and call all anger a sin, if you want to make a generalization. Most anger is sin already. And that which is not already a sin usually leads to sin. But in order that we all think together this morning on the same channel, let me rule out for the rest of this time that which we call righteous indignation. So I'm speaking this morning now about that anger which is sin, or the title of the message, The Sin of Anger. If this morning we could have our eyes opened to the far-reaching effects which the sin of anger has had in the lives of those of us who are here, 
those who are listening by podcast. We may be astounded and shocked. Dr. Richard K. Young tells about a woman who went to see a dermatologist, and she was referred by that doctor to a psychiatrist. So she talked to the psychiatrist at length about her happy home and her satisfactory relationships to her friends, her community. She talked as if though she had no real conflicts at all. And when the doctor informed her that her hour with him was up, she became viciously angry, very hostile. And she shouted at the doctor, you haven't helped me one bit. I should never have come to you in the first place. But in less than a week after she expressed her anger toward that psychiatrist, she called her dermatologist to tell him that her skin rash was beginning to clear up. A psychiatrist and a dermatologist working together did a study several years ago which was based on 17,605 patients. They found that 45% of these had some type of skin disorders in which emotional factors were believed to be important. I mentioned earlier in connection with the reference to anger that a homemaker or housewife may lose her temper and develop a splitting headache. Dr. Young also tells us that in one detailed history, uh, a study of the events of 24 hours preceding the migraine headache was obtained from 20 patients. In almost every instance, there occurred an episode to which the patient reacted with rage or resentment but was unable to give full expression to it. The destruction that anger causes in a person's life is not always easy to see, but we can always be sure that the damage is much more extensive than that which can be seen. It's like an iceberg. Nine-tenths of it is underwater. You see only one-tenth. Anger is one of our sins which no person will excuse which society in general dislikes and which is completely offensive. That is when it's found in somebody else. You see, we're taught from childhood that nice boys don't fight each other. Sweet little girls don't fuss. You must count to 10. On and on this idea goes until you learn that in business, a young man who pops off and shows his anger toward others in the business will soon find himself holding on to his hat, his last paycheck, and riding the elevator down to the ground floor. He's finished in that business. That is, unless he happens to own 51% of the stock, or unless he goes and talks with the president of the company and says, Dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> as, as we tried to do the past two Sundays when we looked at the sin of pride and envy, Again, let's take this black sin of anger and turn on it the spotlight of truth, looking at it for what it really is. Two weeks ago, I defined anger as self-love, which strikes out with hostility at those who threaten your way of doing things. I have an idea of the way things ought to be, and anybody or anyone who upsets my idea or gets in the way is going to be an object of my anger. Let's give some examples of this. 
Uh, let's say a person gets up at night for a glass of water. And in the darkness, this person accidentally stumps his toe on a chair that wasn't where it was supposed to be. And so the person, what does he do? Turns around and kicks the chair, or at least he wants to kick it, because it got in his way. Uh, well, let's talk about another situation in church life. Let's say there's a person who doesn't see things quite like you do. And though you may be absolutely right over the point at issue, yet you allow anger to burn beneath the surface to the extent that the relationship between you and that other person or that group does not really honor the Lord. You see, anything that stands in the way of what I think the way ought to be, things ought to be, that makes me angry. Whether it's a chair in the darkness or maybe a person in the church or whatever it may be. When you have an idea as to how things ought to be, and when they don't go exactly to your liking, then you're frustrated, you're defeated, and you show this defeat through your anger. Is, is it a Chinese proverb, I believe, that goes something like this? In an argument, you can always tell who the loser is. He's the one who begins to shout with anger. There are those people who just cannot take being defeated. And so they'll join some offbeat group and then take up the chant of that group, such as, if you can't lick them, join them. Or, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Or, why should I not cheat? Everybody else is doing it. Sometimes people even band together in what they call religious groups. They claim they have a corner on the truth. Everybody else is wrong. Their ideas are the only ones that are correct. People like this have what I call the Messiah complex. They just equate themselves with God. I, I heard some time ago about a little sign that was erected in front of a church. It said, we are the only church recognized by Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, how, awful, how wrong can you get? You remember Hitler justified the murder of six million Jews because he had the warped idea of some so-called brand of Superman or super race, which could not tolerate anything that got in his way. Again, nothing more than playing God. Well, a lot of what I've said so far this morning has been somewhat negative, hasn't it? Let me hasten to the positive aspect of this sin of anger as we look at what can be done to begin to rid ourselves of this iniquity. The two words I believe we really need to hear. The first is the word patience. Some people think patience is nothing more than a lack of pep, despair, not knowing what to do. The word patience is actually much stronger than that. It is related to the word passion, which means to suffer. We speak sometimes of the passion of Christ. That means his suffering. A patient person usually suffers, but says nothing about it. The dictionary defines a patient in these words, undisturbed by obstacles, delays, or failures. That's a very strong word, patient. The other word is magnanimity. That's a big, big long word, I know. Don't let it throw you. It comes from two Latin words, 
First is magnus, which means great, and animus, which means mind, or put them together, great-mindedness. It means to be elevated above that which is low, able to bear opposition without revenge. To have strong convictions and yet willing to let other people have convictions that may be different from yours, that may even contradict yours. You see now how patience and magnanimity begin to strike at the root of the sin of anger. We begin to see now that the writer of Proverbs knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. And over toward the end of the New Testament, little book of James, James, the brother of Jesus, said this, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. In the 37th Psalm, the psalmist David wrote these words, Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who bringeth wickedness devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. What a wonderful change we'd be able to see in our homes, in our churches, even in our world, if we could begin to put away this sin of anger. And it could so easily begin in our home. Discipline for children is necessary, but an angry parent's discipline does more harm than it does good. Yes, Jesus did drive out the money changers from the temple. But if you read that 11th chapter of Mark, you'll discover that Jesus had previously visited the temple where he no doubt had already seen what was going on. But he withdrew first to Bethany to be with the 12. I think Jesus acted not in a fit of uncontrollable anger but rather in true righteousness. And this was not for self-glory, self-gain. It was for the purpose for the kingdom of God and His glory. On a rainy afternoon, there was a father who was rushing to pack his suitcase. He's going to be driving to a distant city. His little eight-year-old daughter was bouncing a rubber ball all over the place. So the dad asked her twice to stay out of the way now. That is packing, got to make a trip. Well, when the ball finally took a wrong bounce and landed right in the middle of his suitcase, the father said in a gruff voice, I told you to take that ball into another room. Now get out of here with it. Before going out to get in his car, the father made the rounds, kissing his wife, his son, and then he turned to his little daughter, who was standing off glumly to one side. He said to her, Aren't you going to kiss Daddy goodbye? Her reply, No. Go get yourself killed. <laughs> the father was already worried about the dangerous driving conditions, and this remark was quite a shock to him. It revealed his daughter's honest, hostile feelings. And so he stooped down to her and he said, Honey, I know what's wrong. 
and I'm sorry I yelled at you. I still feel the same way about that ball, and you were wrong in not staying out of my way. But I want you to know I had no right to speak to you in anger. With this, the little girl put her arms around her daddy. She smiled and kissed him without saying a word. She didn't need to. Love had replaced anger. Oh, if we could just listen to God's voice, he could work the same miracle for us if we'll let him. A fellow pastor wrote in his church bulletin a, a story which I think illustrates what I'm talking about right now. Back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was a story, maybe apocryphal, may not be exactly true, but anyway, a story about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to a certain address that was listed. And when he arrived there looking for this job, he entered a large, noisy office. In the background, a telegraph clacked away. A sign on the receptionist's counter instructed all the applicants who were there to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. Well, this young man did as others in the room surely had done. He completed his form and he sat down with all the other waiting applicants. After a few minutes, this young man stood up, crossed the room to the door to the inner office and walked right in. Naturally, all the other applicants there perked up, wondering what was going on. Why had this man been so bold? He got there after they did, actually. And so they muttered among themselves that they hadn't gotten any, they hadn't heard anybody call anybody's name. Yet they took little, more than just a little satisfaction in just assuming that young man who went into the office would surely be reprimanded for his presumption and he'd be kicked out quickly and disqualified for the job. But within a few minutes, that young man emerged from that inner office escorted by the interviewer who announced to all the other applicants in the room there, gentlemen, thank you all very much for coming and applying for this job, but the job has already been filled now by this young man. The other applicants began grumbling to each other and then one spoke up, wait a minute, I don't understand. He was the last one to come in. We never even got a chance to be interviewed and yet he got the job, that's not fair. The employer responded, all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. But none of the others heard it or understood it. This young man did. So the job was his. Oh, so often we miss out on God's blessings because we fail to hear him speak. Remember, the Bible says that God speaks many times in a still, small voice. Take the time today to listen and you'll be blessed also. The love of Christ will be whispered to you and it'll shine into your heart and that love can work a miracle that we need 
the miracle to cleanse us from this sin of anger, if we'll let it. O oh God, we confess that we all are guilty of this sin. Help us, O oh God, to know that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May that be true of each person here in our service this morning and those listening by podcast. Thank you for loving us as you do. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, we pray. Amen.